Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we will be discussing the turmoil in Turkey. It suffered its worst terrorist attack over the weekend, with 100 or more people killed in twin suicide bombings in Ankara. Ethno-sectarian tensions were already at boiling point. A 30-year conflict between Kurdish militants and state security forces reignited over the summer and has claimed hundreds of lives. To the south, the civil war in Syria has gained in intensity with the intervention of Russian air power and reportedly Iranian ground forces. All this as Turkey gears up for the most pivotal elections in years. Recep Tayyip Erdogan's ambitions to change the constitution and create an executive presidency require an absolute majority. Elections in June produced a hung parliament after the pro-Kurdish HDP made it over the 10% threshold. Rather than unite the country in grief, Saturday's Ankara bombing has only accentuated the sense of polarisation in the country and amplified suspicions that the governing AK party is intent on stoking tensions to serve its electoral ends. Joining me to discuss these developments are David Gardner, our Middle East commentator, who's in Istanbul, and here in London, Dan Dombey, who is FT correspondent in Istanbul until the summer. David, is this serious civil war spilling over the border into Turkey or is this a homegrown crisis? Well, I think it's a bit of both, really. The string of attacks since before the June elections on HDP, that's the pro-Kurdish coalition targets, of which Ankara has been by far the worst, is actually helping suck Turkey southwards into the vortex south of its border and make it dangerously resemble in the fault lines that have opened its neighbors such as Syria and Iraq, which of course are being torn to pieces. In that sense, you could say these outrages have produced enormous division rather than any sense of national unity, a sense that the bond between the state and all its people, including Kurds, the millions of opponents of President Erdogan, that a social contract has been broken. Now, to that extent, you could argue, unfortunately, that ISIS in doing this is actually succeeding, as well as a brutal organization. It's a politically sophisticated organization, which is successfully opening Turkey's Middle Eastern fissures. And from their point of view, they're succeeding insofar as it's much better for ISIS, for Turks and Kurds to fight each other than to fight them. And bear in mind what its targets have been so far. ISIS kills Kurds and leftists. On the whole, it doesn't kill mainstream Islamic conservatives or even policemen. Dan, if David is right, and this is ISIS succeeding, why has the Turkish state responded in the way that it did? I mean, one of the extraordinary things after Saturday's bombing was that the initial reaction of the PKK was to call a ceasefire, but in effect, the Turkish government ignored it. Why? 
The Turkish government continues to say, as recently as today, that it suspects the PKK and the Kurds themselves of this atrocity on Saturday. The Turkish government, I think, has leapt with alacrity at every chance to blame the Kurds for this wave of violence that we've seen over the summer. It's very hard to come up with a concrete answer, but the suspicion surely is that the Turkish government is seeking to fan these divisions in its own country so as to scare Kurdish voters from voting for the HDP, which they did in massive numbers last time, and to rally nationalists to its cause. It's very hard to see how the PKK would indeed be involved in a killing of this kind, given that the most prominent victims were from its allied party, to be honest, the HDP. It was very striking to see that the Turkish government's authorities' initial response to the bomb explosions on Saturday was to use tear gas on the survivors and those people who tried to come to its aid and to try and impose a news ban and to block Twitter. I think David is entirely right. ISIS is a very savvy organisation. It, like Mr Erdogan's government, sees these organised militant leftist Kurdish groups as its enemy. They both see them as their enemy. One of the real tragedies over the summer was of the Suruch bombing, which was a bombing that killed 33 people in July, was immensely influential in changing the course of events in Turkey. It was that bombing that set up the reignition of a war between Turkey and the PKK, because the PKK responded to the killings by killing two policemen, and Mr Erdogan then unleashed a huge war, not against ISIS, but against the PKK. That raises real questions about the direction he's taking the country in. But it also brings up a rather worrying parallel. Because when Mr Putin carries out what he describes as strikes against ISIS, it seems to bolster ISIS and be targeted against the moderate Islamic rebels in Syria. When Mr Erdogan responds to an ISIS outrage, he seems to be also focusing not on ISIS, but its foes. That really is a rather stark an unnerving parallel, it seems to me. And how do you think, David, this will play out in the elections on November the 1st? Will there be a polarisation of the electorate? Will nationalists sort of rally to the, the AK cause? And will moderate Kurds and liberals steer clear of the HDP? There isn't really any sign of that. I mean, almost every single poll, including by the couple of pollsters around the ruling party show pretty much that the situation in June continues to obtain. There's nothing whatsoever to suggest that Turkish voters are disposed to rescind the verdict that they gave then. Things could change. I mean, one other bombing outrage like this, and then things could change. I mean, it's a very, very delicate period in the run-up to November the 1st. That being the case, I think people are beginning to concentrate on what happens next. I mean, if there's the same stalemate, it's a draw, there's another hung parliament, will we now get the possibility that was being discussed, although with rampant insincerity on the part of Erdogan and the AKP after the June election, namely a grand coalition with the main opposition party, the Republican People's Party. It doesn't look any more likely then because ultimately the fundamental question which strangled it at birth really was that Erdogan was seeking guarantees against 
the reopening of corruption investigations that reach deep into his inner circle. And those are not really guarantees that anybody can give, and they're almost impossible to deliver even if they were given. There has been some movement in the sense that there appear to be quiet agreements emerging in certain areas, such as that the opposition will not seek to close down religious schools or that the foreign ministry would be in the charge of a neutral figure, as it is now in this caretaker government, so as not to uncover the can of worms on guns and money for Syrian rebels, that sort of thing. But this fundamental obstacle, the guarantees against reopening of the corruption probes, remains. But then it's worth bearing in mind that there might be, after the elections, two interests in play which diverge. One is President Erdogan's, which is to stave off a reopening of the investigations, and the other of the ruling party, which is to stay in power. But then the other thing, obviously, that comes into play is how governable Turkey will be by then. How far gone will be the alienation of Kurds and southeastern Turkey? How is that to be rolled back? And Dan, up till now, much of the violence between Kurdish militants and security forces has been confined to the south. What risk is there that these tensions will sort of spill over into Turkey's biggest cities and actually cause a much more widespread conflict, given everything that David has said about the prospect potentially of a sort of anti-Kurdish coalition government in, in Ankara? Well, the fear has always been that the violence would this year come to Ankara and Istanbul. It's come to Ankara in a terrible way, almost certainly at the hands of ISIS. But let's not forget that Istanbul is the world's biggest Kurdish city. More Kurds live there than anywhere else in this mega city of 15 million or so people. One scenario that really worries people, I think, is if the pro-Kurdish HDP doesn't reach the 10% threshold, whether it's because people in the southeast in states or in villages or towns where the military and police are really keeping them under very tight control, aren't able to vote, or transported ballot boxes, or other questions of questionable electoral practices. In that scenario, I think there is the risk of a further uptick in violence. And that scenario, unfortunately, is probably the AKP's best chance of holding on to a majority. This is an incredibly important election for President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. It may not seem from outside, from London, New York, Tokyo, wherever, but as if there's a very big difference between an AKP-led coalition and an AKP-majority government. But for that man, I think there's all the difference in the world because it probably means a difference between corruption probes and no corruption probes. So one can't underestimate the importance of this election for Erdogan. And one also can't underestimate or dismiss the possibility that if there were a majority AKP government, the conflagration could be even more difficult to control. Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to David Gardner and Dan Dombey. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.